Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads, second weekend of fall break, one of my three worst dreaded, most dreaded times of the year because you all get to go places and I have to stay here. But you know what? It's all right. Uh, it's kind of funny. My family was gone last Sunday. They got back yesterday from uh, Rosemary Beach down around Alice Beach, that, that area. They came back, and they had the wise idea of stopping like everybody has to at Bucky's. Took them an hour to get out of the parking lot. So I'm just going to believe that a lot of our people are stuck at Bucky's, okay? So there you go. So there you go. Anyway, we welcome you. Welcome those who are with us here in the auditorium. We know a lot of people are joining us online. We're thankful for that. But always be reminded that it's so much better when you're actually in the church, uh, fellowshipping and being with other people, worshiping together. So again, if you're watching us and you can get here next week, get here. Uh, if you're, and again, it's one more weekend of fall break for some people, and then it'll be over. And I'm going to tell you, Christmas is going to be here before you know it. I mean, it's going to be here before you know it, and it's exciting. But anyway, you're probably going to remember, some of you, Back to August of 2010, there was a copper mine in San Jose, Chile that collapsed. And below the ground, like 2,000, over 2,000 feet under the earth's surface, were 33 miners. And again, when the news broke that the, the mine had collapsed and there were 33 people under the surface of the earth, there was actually no clue for anybody to understand if these men had actually survived. And so for 17 days, the world stopped and we all stayed glued to social media and to cable and to newspapers and to magazines because we had no idea if these men were actually alive or if they had perished. So what they started doing was they started drilling down into the earth's surface. Day after day after day after day. And I think it was on day 17 that that drill bit went over 2,000 feet down into the earth. And as they pulled the drill bit back out of the earth, Attached to the end of the drill bit was this note. And it said, we are well in the shelter. And it was signed, the 33. And, and, the, and the world rejoiced. But immediately, the countries across the globe started to leverage whatever they had, their assets, their knowledge. They were doing everything they could to get those 33 men out of that mine where they were trapped. And it would be NASA that would actually develop the design for the capsule that would go 2,000 feet down into the earth and rescue those men one by one. And that's what happened. 69 days later, one by one, those men that you see in that picture were brought back to the surface of the earth. And the entire world rejoiced. And we all celebrated what was truly a miracle moment. 
And over the next couple of months, those those guys right there that you see were on television and radio and cable and in magazines and newspapers telling about the experience. What it was like to be one of those people who had spent those 69 days under the earth's surface trapped in this mining collapse. But then what happens happened. We all went back to work. We all went back to life. We all went back to our everyday lives, and so did those 33 men. About a year later, Time magazine wanted to check in on those 33 men. They just really wanted to know how these guys were doing a year later. And most of the men were doing okay. But all of them had some significant issues going on. See, one of those 33 men had been arrested for domestic violence. Many of those men were struggling with sleep issues, PTSD, drug or alcohol issues. Some of the men had actually started to even hoard food in their homes. Some of the men were actually sleeping on the hard floor instead of sleeping on the bed that they had in their bedroom. There was actually one of those men, one of those 33 men, that was building a fence, a a wall around his house. And when somebody asked him, why are you building a wall around your house? He couldn't answer. So the state of these men prompted Time Magazine to write the article. And the article asked the question, Do the miners need another rescue? Do the miners need a second rescue? Why would we ask that question? I'll tell you why. Because they were alive, but they were not really alive. A year later, they were living, but they were not really living. They were alive, but they were not free. And it makes me wonder how many times we as followers of Jesus find ourselves in the same place. We've been rescued. We're alive, but not really. We're alive, but we're not really free. Because, see, there is something more for every one of us. And here's what's so very interesting. The Bible actually points to a story that addresses this very thing. Again, it's a story that most of you know and a story that I've probably spoken about from this stage, I don't know how many times. And and again, I want to just warn you, it's again one of those stories that you have that kind of tendency to kind of want to check out because you're going to think, I already know everything about this story. It's the story of Lazarus. You see, Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, a personal close friend of Jesus. But the Bible tells us that that one day Lazarus got sick. One day Lazarus comes down with a cold. It starts out with just a little sniffle, and I understand there's some sickness going around right now. Wash your hands. Use hand sanitizer. But don't, amen. 
but don't stay out of church. We, we want you here. But if you're sick, stay home, watch it online. I mean, again, but we want you here. But what starts out as a little sniffle, it starts to cause the health of Lazarus, this close personal friend of Jesus, to decline. And the sisters of Lazarus sit by his bed day by day, and they watch Lazarus declining, and they start to worry. One day they have this thought that, you know, what we need to do is we need to get the word to Jesus. We need to let Jesus know that Lazarus is sick. So the sisters send the word to Jesus, who's a couple of miles away. The one that you love, your friend Lazarus, is sick. And here's what's really interesting. Jesus sends back a promise to those sisters. He said, don't worry. This sickness will not end in death so that God might be glorified in it. I mean, again, what Jesus does is really interesting. He doesn't say, go, your faith has made you whole. He doesn't snap his finger or or twitch his nose and, and make Lazarus get up off of his sickbed. Instead, what he does is really interesting. The Bible tells us that Jesus stayed where he was because he loved them. Jesus, instead of going to his friend who was sick, stays where he was for two days because he loved that family so much. And here's what's in that for us. You just need to know that if the Lord has made you wait, come on somebody. You just need to know that if the Lord has made you wait on something, You just need to know you're in good company. Because you see, it's the waiting. It's in the waiting. The waiting is oftentimes, come on now, not because he doesn't love us. But the waiting is because he does love us. So the Bible tells the story. That by the time Jesus arrives at the village of Bethany, that Lazarus has already been in the tomb, stone cold dead, for four days. Now listen, you need to understand that the village of Bethany is near Jerusalem. But the last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, the people tried to drive him out and to kill him. So it is with great expense to himself and the life of Jesus that Jesus would even go to the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus arrives. And one of the sisters of Lazarus comes out. Where have you been, Jesus? Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not be dead. Now, let's just pause right there. Because if you actually go and read the story of Lazarus and you don't pick up on the frustration and the disappointment and the anger of the sister, then you need to understand you're not reading the story correctly. Because I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments 
in your own life. Or you had to say, Jesus, where are you? I've prayed, I've fasted, I've waited. But Jesus, if you had just shown up, things would be different. She's frustrated, she's disappointed, she's angry. And the fact that Jesus did not come when she sent the message, but in this moment, what's interesting for us to understand is that Jesus does not scold her, he does not rebuke her, he listens to her. And the frustration and disappointment. And then he makes a statement where he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live, even though they die. Do you believe this? It's kind of like Jesus was saying to this sister, let me, let me remind you who I am. I'm the resurrection and the life. But then he tags on four words. He says, do you believe this? And see, to me, those four words, do you believe this? To me, those are the point of this entire text. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in him, even though they die, they will live. It's the most important question you will answer in your life. Do you believe this? It's not just a question that she needs to answer. It's a question that we need to answer. Do you believe this? And she's like, yes, Lord, I, I, believe, I believe that one day you're going to raise everybody from the dead. And he's like, no, 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 you don't get this. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life now? Do you believe it right now? See, the other sister was so frustrated, she didn't even come out. So Jesus is like, okay, somebody, somebody, somebody take me to the tomb. And they take Jesus to the tomb of his personal close friend, Lazarus. And here's what's interesting. Jesus sits outside of the tomb. And he cries. Jesus wept. Shortest verse of scripture in the Bible. It's the shortest, most enlightening verse of Scripture because it communicates to us. It tells us that regardless, listen, listen, regardless of what we're going through, we have a God who weeps with us. He's close. He's personal. And He sits with us in our pain and our grief and our sorrow. And in that moment, it says that Jesus wept because he looked around 
And he saw all the people that had gathered outside of the tomb of Lazarus. People who had gathered with these sisters to mourn the death of their brother. And the Bible says that he looks around and he has compassion on them. And he weeps. Now, now, let me stop right there because it's fascinating. Because if you know the story, then you know that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. You, you actually know that Jesus doesn't have a reason to cry. Because what he's about to do is to raise Lazarus from the dead. But see, I think in part that Jesus weeps not just for Lazarus, but he weeps for us. Because he knows, this is, he knows this is not the way it was supposed to be. He weeps because he knows that death was not a part of the world that God created. It wasn't part of the story. See, it wasn't until three chapters in that Satan slithered his ugly little head into the story. So death was not even a thing. And Jesus sits outside the tomb of Lazarus and he weeps. And in his weeping, he's saying to us and to them, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Disease, sickness, and death, those things were never supposed to be part of the story. So Jesus weeps. And then he reaches a point where he stands up. And he says to the people there, roll the stone away. Roll the stone away. And one of the sisters is like, Jesus, we ain't got enough Febreze to take care of the smell that's going to come out of that place. Roll the stone away. And then he commands those words that probably all of us here, Christian or non-Christian, you've heard it before. Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man comes out of the grave. The man who had been dead for four days. The man who had been in a tomb in a situation where it seems like all hope was lost. The dead man comes out of the tomb. Now, I got to tell you something here that you may not know. They believed in that culture that resurrection was possible. And the reason they believed it, because there were recorded miracles of resurrection. See, they believed that the, the spirit of a man or a woman would hover around the body for three days. But Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. So there was absolutely no hope until Jesus showed up. But it's in that moment where Jesus shows up, that's where everything changed. And that's what I want you to hear. See, you may think there's something in your life that is too dead for Jesus. You may think there's something in your life where time has expired. 
But here's what I need you to know. Dead things come to life when Jesus shows up. There is no situation, there is no problem that Jesus cannot resurrect. Now, there are a couple of things that I want to see here. Because the first one of those things is Jesus did what he did for Lazarus physically. He wants to do for each one of us spiritually. See, Jesus is calling your name. He's calling my name. He wants to raise you from the dead. Because ever since the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve sinned, all of us were born alive. We were all born physically alive but spiritually dead. And that means that apart from you and I hearing the voice of Jesus, apart from us hearing the good news of the gospel, we will remain dead in our sins. But it's in Jesus. It's in Christ that you can be made alive. So when Jesus shows up, come on now, dead things come to life. You can experience the same resurrection power in your life that Lazarus felt on that day. And, and, and you probably heard this time and time again. And, and let me just say that all of that is good and right and true and important. And you've heard the story. You've heard it spoken about. You've heard it preached about. You've heard message after message on, on, on the life of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus. But here's the problem. Our typical treatment of this story of the text ends with the fact, and the dead man came out. That's where we stop. So what I'm challenging you to do this morning is to take a look, closer look at the Scripture. Because at the very end of the story, we actually read some words that change everything. And here's what the Bible says, John 11, verse 43. It says, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Listen, listen you really need to pay attention. I'm going to read it again. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, let me stop right here because if you read this text carefully, it probably doesn't line up with the image that you and I have in our heads. Jesus says, come out. And we need to understand that Lazarus probably did not run out of that grave. The best thing he could have done, and I'm not going to do too much of it. There's a whole big story here that I don't want to go into. But the best thing that Lazarus could have done when Jesus said, come out, was... That's the best he could have done. I'll tell you why. He isn't running because why? He's still bound up. And here's what that tells me. 
it tells me that you can be alive in Christ, but you can still look and smell dead. Look at the screen behind me. You can be alive in Christ, but you can still look and smell dead. That's the way it is. That's grave clothes. That's what they do to you. It's possible for you and I as a follower of Jesus to be alive in Christ and we can still look and smell dead. You can have the resurrection. You can have the relationship. You're going to heaven. But when people look at your life, your life doesn't look any different. Or to say it another way, Lazarus needed a second rescue. And maybe that's what we need. We've been given the gift of new life. Did you hear me? We've been given the gift of a new life, but we're still wrapped up in the old life. I mean, think about it this morning. How many of us have been called out of the grave, never actually realizing that we brought the old grave clothes with us? And the text tells us that when Lazarus walked out of the grave, that his hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen. Now look at what it said. It said there was a cloth over his face. Do you understand what that means? It means that he couldn't see what Jesus wanted him to see. He got a cloth over his face so he couldn't say what Jesus wanted him to say. He's got the cloth over his face. He couldn't hear what Jesus wanted him to hear. He couldn't do what Jesus wanted him to do. He couldn't go where Jesus wanted him to go. And it's all because he was bound up in his old grave clothes. It's all because Lazarus, listen to me, was bound up in his old life. And it makes me wonder. How many of us walked into church this morning and we've never realized that we can't see, hear, go, or do simply because we're bound up in the old life? Because that's what your grave clothes will do. You say, Randy, what what do you mean when you say grave clothes? Let Let me show you what I mean. Grave clothes are this. Grave clothes are anything that holds you back from the everything that God has for you. You want to know what your grave clothes are? Your grave clothes are anything that holds you back from the everything that God has for you. That's what grave clothes are. And listen to me this morning. This might be the biggest struggle in Christian life today. We're still bound up in our grave clothes. We've got the resurrection. We've got the relationship. But we're bound up in our old life. And the old life is keeping us from the everything that God has for us. And while your grave clothes might be your past, they don't need to be your future. Because what I want you to know is that God wants to give you freedom today. And it starts with a few things that you need to know. Here's the the first thing you need to know. You've got the wrong thing on. Anybody ever gone to something and wore the wrong thing? 
Anybody ever gone to a Tennessee tailgate party and worn your Vanderbilt jersey? I'm a Vanderbilt fan. I mean, I like everybody. Anybody ever gone to a, a, an event and you, you've got on jeans and a, you, you know, you're, 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 you're denim and diamonds and everybody else is black tux and, and you're like, oh man, I, I am dressed wrong. You're wearing the wrong thing. And that's where I think many of us are. I think many of us cannot enjoy life, the new life, because we're dressed up in the old life. We're not dressed for the right occasion. And here's what you need to hear me say. Lazarus could not enjoy the life that he was raised for because he was still dressed in those old death rags. And Lazarus wanted to get those things off. So it begs me to ask you the question, what are your grave clothes? What's the anything that's holding you back from the everything? That's worth writing down, I'm telling you. What's the anything that's holding you back from the everything that God has for you? Is it a sin? A sin that you just can't leave? I mean, think about it. A sin, you keep yourself going back to the same old struggle time and time again. Is that your grave clothes? Is it a sin? Because can I tell you this morning, the most powerful sin in your life is the sin that you haven't confessed. Or maybe it's a hurt. Maybe it's a hurt that you've received. Somebody at some point in your story has failed you, left you, divorced you, mistreated you. And you have carried that hurt with you and it has become your bondage. And this morning with all of my heart, if that's you, I believe that God has healing for you. It could be a sin that you go back to. It could be a hurt that you carry with you. Or maybe it's a lie. Maybe it's a lie that you've just started to believe. See, every single one of us here struggle with lies that we hear and we believe. Lies that are told about us. And see, more often than not, those lies find themselves in a couple of different categories. Because, see, the enemy will drill these lies, these thoughts, deep into your mind. So much so that, that those lies actually become the lens in which you see everything. It's the lens in which you see the world. Lies like, I'll never be enough. I'll never do enough. I can't be strong enough. I can't be successful enough. I can't be good enough. And some of us bind to the lie that we will never have enough. So what do we do? We start to hoard stuff. And this morning, I believe that God wants to release our minds from captivity. I believe he wants to release your mind from the lies that you have believed about yourself. So it just tells us that the grave clothes can be anything. I mean, the list goes on and on. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's sex outside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. Maybe it's lust or legalism or guilt or shame. 
Maybe it's unhealthy relationships. Maybe it's an addiction that you have to drugs or alcohol. Again, I could tell you this morning, we could talk about grave clothes all day long, but the thing I want you to hear God speak over you this morning is this, loose the grave clothes and let them go. Because what I want to speak over you this morning is freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. Let me give you another truth. It's time for new clothes. Spiritually speaking, you need some new clothes. Now, I'm going to go a little PG-13 here, so get ready. Do you know what Lazarus had on under those grave clothes? Nothing. He was birthday suit naked. So what that tells me is you can't go on and live a new life like that. If he's birthday suit naked, what does he need? Spiritually speaking, he needs some new clothes. And if he doesn't get new clothes, what's he going to do? He's going to pick up the old clothes. If he doesn't get new clothes, he's going to go back to the old rags because at least he could find comfort in those old rags. So Lazarus needs some new clothes. Now don't miss this because this is where I think a lot of us Christians get hung up. We've identified our grave clothes. And we take them off. But we just keep struggling with the same old thing. We keep struggling with the same old pattern because we're picking up the same old rags. And we pick up those old rags because we find comfort in those old rags. So here's what I'm telling you this morning. This is advice. Instead of just trying to cut things out of your life, you got to get some new clothes. You need new clothes. You need a new wardrobe. And here's the thing. Thanks to Jesus Christ, we have one. All throughout the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is talking about what it's like to take off the, what it's like to take off the old life and put on the new life. What it's like to take off the old man and put on the new man. You read it all over the New Testament. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 2, and Romans 6. He's always talking about what it's like to leave the old behind and to take on the new. But one of the most favorite areas that is spoken, where this is spoken about, is actually in Colossians 3, where Paul spends lots of time talking about the things that need to come off of our lives. And this is what he says in verse 12. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. In this day and time, that's about everybody, ain't it? I'm telling you. I've never people say, I mean, everybody walks around offended. Get over it, people. I'm just telling you, get over it. You don't need to comment on everything somebody says, okay? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. Here we go. So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves in love or with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, we talked about that a few weeks ago, as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. God gives us this new wardrobe. 
He gives us this new wardrobe of grace. And he tells us the things that we need to fill our life with, our lives with. And he and he says above all else. Put on love. Because love is like that article of clothing that brings the whole outfit together. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Most of you men don't. I do, but most of you men don't. <laughs> love is the thing that brings the outfit together. Love is like the, the belt buckle. It's like the pocket square. It's like the shoes. It's the thing that just makes the whole thing look complete. Now, let me ask you. Let me, let me bring this home with you. Anybody know what a Catholic nun looks like? Let me, let me ask you, and you can answer this out loud. How can you tell a Catholic nun is a Catholic nun? How, do, how can you tell? By the way, they're dressed. And let me ask you this. What is it that a Catholic nun wears that allows you to identify them? It's called a what? A habit. So what if you and I made a habit of putting on love every day we get up? Think about that. What if you and I made a habit, made it a habit where we put on love every day when we get dressed? And then every place that you put your foot, every place your foot treads, you're identified by what you're wearing. Because people will know you because of what you wear. So you and I have the opportunity to put on grace to put on the righteousness of Christ. You don't settle for the old rags anymore because God has given you new clothes. Here's the third thing, the third truth. You can't get them off by yourself. You can't get the grave clothes off on your own. See, here's again something I hope you have never noticed that I can point out to you. Did you notice that Jesus never told Lazarus to take the, clothes, the grave clothes off himself? He never told him. He never told Lazarus to take off the grave clothes on his own, to break free on his own. He never said that. Why? Because he knew Lazarus couldn't do it on his own. And neither can we. See, actually what Jesus does in this passage, he calls people who had been standing around watching the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus, people who have witnessed the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus' life, because it actually was kind of a funeral. So everybody has seen exactly what Jesus has done. In fact, this is the miracle that turns everybody against Jesus. Because all the religious leaders had been plotting against him. And the reason was because of this miracle. And the fact that this miracle was so public. See, there was no doubting what Jesus had done. So Jesus speaks to the people who had witnessed the miracle. 
And he says to those people, hey, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to help Lazarus find freedom. It's your responsibility to help loose the grave clothes that have Lazarus bound up. So there's like two things here. If you're struggling this morning with a hurt or a lie or a sin or something, you just need to know you can't take care of that on your own. In fact, one of the tactics that the enemy will use is to convince you that whatever it is you're struggling with, you can't talk about it. You can't share that with other people because they just don't need to know. And that's a lie. Let me tell you this morning, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Why? Because the enemy wants to isolate you. And if you're following Jesus, the enemy wants to convince you that you can take care of it by yourself. You can take care of it in your own strength. But you can't. You need people to come alongside you. You need people to help you loose those grave clothes. But there's another side to this. See, if you're one of those people who is already walking in freedom, then you need to understand you have been commissioned by Jesus. You have a responsibility to help other people find freedom. You have a responsibility because you have experienced the miracle of freedom to help other people find freedom. What was it that I said four weeks ago? The natural response to freedom, spiritually speaking, is sharing that freedom with others. Sharing the story of what God has done in our life with the people that God has put around us. So you don't have to struggle on your own anymore. You just need to surround yourself with people who have already found freedom and experienced freedom. Because if there is any tactic the enemy will use to cause us to fail, he wants you to surround yourself with people who are struggling with the same thing that you're struggling with. And can I just tell you something this morning? Listen, I want you to hear this. If you surround yourself with people who are struggling with the same thing that you are, you are going to find yourself on your knees at this altar time and time again. You don't need people who, like, who can identify with your struggle. You need people who have found freedom from your struggle. Walk in the freedom that you have been destined for. Walk in the freedom that you have been raised for. You need people who will walk with you and people who will wage war with you. Listen to me this morning. You will never experience the life that God has for you, listen, listen, absent from this community of faith. You will never experience the life that God has for you absent from a community of faith. You will never experience the life that God has for you unless you surround yourself with people who are committed to helping you walk in the newness of life. 
so you're wearing the wrong thing. You need new clothes. And you can't get it off by yourself. Now, interestingly, Jesus does something incredible in John chapter 11. He raises Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus isn't the only person that was raised from the dead in the New Testament. In fact, it's this story that gives us just a glimpse of what's to come. This story was meant to point us to a bigger and greater story. Because just like Lazarus, Jesus would die. And just like Lazarus, Jesus would be placed in a tomb. And just like Lazarus, Jesus would spend time in that tomb for days. But on Easter morning, when the women came to the place where his body had been laid, do you know what they would find? They find the stone rolled away. And then they walk into that place and that space where his body had been laid. And then do you know what they find? Scripture says, folded up neatly, they find the grave clothes. Now don't miss this. They don't, don't miss this. Find, they find the grave clothes folded up deeply. See, when Lazarus came out of the grave, he was still bound up. But Jesus, come on now, left the grave clothes behind. And the thing that you need to know today is that, listen to me this morning, you have not been raised in the image of Lazarus. Listen, Crossroads, you were not raised to be born and to be bound up in your old life. That's not the picture of your resurrection. The picture of your resurrection is Jesus. You were raised in his image. And you can be free and you can be whole and you can have life and you can experience freedom. And you, like Jesus, listen to me this morning, you, like Jesus, you can leave the grave clothes behind. You know why? Look at the screen. Jesus wore the grave clothes so you wouldn't have to. You don't need those grave clothes. Because Jesus wore those clothes so you didn't have to. And here's what I need you to do. Stop settling for the old life. You just need to make the decision today that I'm not going to allow myself to be bound up in my old grave clothes. Matter of fact, when you came in today, hopefully, we gave you a little swatch of fabric. Just a reminder, grave clothes. Here's what I want you to do. Just keep that in your Bible. Keep it in front of your eyes so that you can see those grave clothes. They might be your past, but they don't have to be your future. I'm going to invite you, if you will, right now to stand up where you're seated all across this auditorium. Stand up right where you're seated, and I'm going to ask you, if you will, bow your head and close your eyes. And again, 
you know, it's awkward. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. But here's the thing I want to do this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask, even though the attendance here is way off, I'm going to ask you to be bold. And I'm going to ask you this morning to step out. And if you need freedom in some area of your life, maybe it's a sin, maybe it's a hurt, maybe it's a lie. Can I just ask you, nobody's looking around. Can I just ask you to step out of your seat and come to the foot of these steps right below me here? Nobody's going to see you. Nobody's looking around, but just move out of your seat. It'll take boldness to come up here. But perhaps the only way that you're going to experience freedom, this is the moment that stands between you and the freedom you want to experience. So I'm just going to ask you, if you will, come out of your chairs. Come down the aisle because I want to pray over you and for you. Because you've got grave clothes that you know that you need to get rid of. And many of us this morning, we walked in here bound up. But Jesus wants you to experience freedom. He doesn't want you leaving here with those grave clothes that you walked in with. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I speak freedom over every person in this auditorium. Over every person who is kneeling or standing at the foot of these steps. I speak freedom over their life. And God, that they would begin today to realize that today is the day they leave the grave clothes behind. And as they leave this building today, they will, there, will, there will be a sense of freedom in their life that they have never experienced before because they left those grave clothes behind. And they can do that because Jesus wore the grave clothes so we don't have to. God, I pray that today that they would realize that Jesus is everything that he says he is and that he would do everything that he said he would do. And that freedom that's available to them today will cause them to walk in a newness of life. And God, I pray that you go before them and that you go behind them and that your Holy Spirit rests upon them and that today is the day that they experience the life that they were raised for. It's not the life of Lazarus. It's the life of Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you this morning that we, all of us, through Jesus Christ, are no longer slaves, but we are free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. God, we love you, and we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You guys can go back.
Sure. 